what got you here might not get you there and being you know confident enough to reflect on your leadership your traits your style that to me has been the sort of biggest I think shift in in leadership. Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top our podcast about digital leadership and change. I'm Zoe Ammer and I'm Paul Thomas. On today's episode, we're sharing Zoe's conversation with Louise Lai, Chief Client and Transformation Officer at TPX Impact in their Digital Experience Division. Lou talks about the path that she's taken from charity fundraising to agency side and back again, and what that has taught her about organisational transformation across different sectors. Lou also shared her thoughts on the changing role of leadership and how leaders need to invest time into developing new skills and new capabilities to see them through these challenging times which is a nice segue into, have you made any New Year's resolutions, Zoe? Is there anything that you want to invest your time into this year? Two things, Paul. Number one, I definitely want to try and rest more and get a bit more downtime. And second resolution, eat more cheese. (laughs) Stars, you mean to go on. Is that because you've got a fridge full of cheese to finish off? Uh, Yes, we do have a lot of cheese left over from the Christmas period. And also I did eat a fair bit of cheese over the festive festive season and really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was there was plenty of that, wasn't there? Um yeah, no, I think I, I completely agree with you. I'm not maybe not on the um on the cheese front, but you know, my my New Year's resolution is to always eat more bread. So um uh, and make more bread, uh, which I didn't do enough of last year. I think um everyone else doing it in the pandemic put me off for a bit. Um so one thing I was uh, in, interested in was an article um, by my friend uh, Helen Deverell, who was talking about the difference between routine and structure. Um, and I think I've realised that the routine part of work was probably killing me a little bit towards the end of of, of last year. Um, and actually, what I need to put more in more effort into is structure and making sure that the structure is there for me to work within and it's because we work across different clients at different times and and, you know there's competing demands on our time Um, but I think what I've tried to do even just this last week is say no this day or this half a day is compartmentalized for this client for this piece of work and it's really starting to help the other thing that helps with structure is the kids going back to school because that ethic (laughs) of them leaving the house in the morning and going off and doing things and us not having to get lunch or do other things for them like we were doing through the pandemic and through the holidays um, is much more conducive to work. So I agree with you on that. The other thing I'd like to try and do, I think, is is um, uh, really think about how I can move to uh, a nine-day fortnight. I think that would really, really help my mental health and well-being. Um and enable me to put some extra time into the charity that I'm a trustee for, for example, um, uh, a couple of times a month. Um, so I think that's something that I'd really like to, to look into. Nice. Well, they sound like some great resolutions there. Yeah. And you also had um, you also shared with me a, a story about uh, all of these big tech giants suddenly offloading office space. Uh, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, so this is a normally a quieter time of the year for techniques, but there are things going on. And two of the things on my radar are some of the tech giants who are um, selling their offices, downsizing their offices, 
Um, so for example, um, Google's parent Alphabet, Facebook parent Meta, Salesforce ditching offices in Europe as part of the, cut, the cost cutting that we're all facing. And then meanwhile, Salesforce has announced over the last couple of days that they are actually going to be cutting 10% of their workforce after hiring too many people. And the situation these tech giants obviously now is that they've scaled very rapidly over the last couple of years, but are now in the situation that so many of us are in of having to tighten their belts so it's interesting to see this development and think about where they're going next but also what it means for this wider world of the return to the the office and the tension between working from home mm. it's interesting there was a post something popped up on my phone the other day from the bbc saying that there's a big um, investment i think it's another 10 to 15 high-rise buildings going into london in the next um, few years and you kind of wonder why and for what purpose you know um if if the the tech giants and other organizations are moving away from uh, office-based working just you know what are these buildings going to be for and obviously google have that massive investment of over i think it's a billion pounds um into their building running alongside the um, king's cross um all the way to granary square which is a, a, a you know massive investment that they can't possibly walk away from um, but yeah, you're right. It's all about cost savings. Incidentally, I did have a conversation over Christmas with my niece, who's just started an apprentice role in a, in a technology focused organisation. And she said the actual drive there for um, people in her position, so younger members of, of the team, is they're, they're still doing some of the, the stuff that, that was sort of associated with startups and, and tech businesses. So they do encourage people to come in and have their breakfast in the office and uh you know mingle with each other and talk and, and share before before work starts and a real culture of um of, of going out and and um uh you know finishing off work um in a in a in in a bar or a restaurant or a cafe or something like that so there's a real sort of juxtaposition i guess there between some of the stories on the ground of of how um office space is still used and still used well for um, bringing people together in collaboration particularly when uh, you're at that early stage of your your career um but for the for, for some of the rest of us and certainly for some of the people that um, the clients i'm working with it's a it's still a real shift away from um office-based working and office-based working um when you can, but with a real a real sense of of purpose. So, yes, yeah, interesting to see how they're all starting to to cut those costs and cut those corners. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the thing um, that's affecting all of this at the moment is the train strikes, which sound like they could go on until May, and the impact that's going to have on this behaviour change around remote work, because it certainly seems to be a real disincentive to go into the office at the moment mm-hmm. with travel being in absolute chaos yeah ice and snow before christmas and and strikes as well it, it it sort of does mean uh that there's that that constant challenge there um and the cost as well because you know the cost isn't going down um it can be quite prohibitive especially uh when people have got used to not having to pay those those costs so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out and the, the strikes show no sign of slowing down. So yeah, let us know um, by uh, get, get in touch through social media or send us a, a message if um, if you're noticing any, any major changes to the organisations that you work for um, around this time. Yes, please do. We would love to hear from you about how your organisation is tackling that challenge. 
So now for Zoe's conversation with Lou Lai. I wasn't able to make this conversation last year, so I found myself listening back and trying to join in intermittently through the uh, through the conversation. I think there are some really interesting points made in this discussion about the changing nature, nature of leadership throughout the pandemic. Um, and maybe we'll ask a, a few brief questions at the end of the conversation. But before we get to that, Lou Lai. We are very excited to welcome Louise Lai to the podcast today. She is Chief Client and Transformation Officer at TPX Impact in the Digital Experience Division. She leads the overall strategy and experience for their clients, ensuring they understand their business objectives and that they're aligning capabilities and work to ensure they're helping their clients achieve their impact and goals. It's all about helping transform organisations for Lou and her team, from their culture and organisational design to their technology and digital capabilities to drive sustainable change and impact, a theme which I'm sure we'll be talking about more today. Lou has worked in the not-for-profit sector for over a decade, cutting her teeth as a volunteer youth worker, which led her to join Bernardo's fundraising team. She has extensive experience working with a huge number of well-known not-for-profit brands within the UK and globally. She is a member of the Board of Trustees at Blood Cancer UK, joining them in January 2021 at the height of the pandemic. And she also runs a global mentoring network for women in and around the For Good space called Femme Mentored. Lou, welcome to Starts at the Top. I'm so happy to have you here. Wow, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I like feel super very flattered and like privileged to kind of, yeah, be on this platform with you. I've loved listening to some episodes. I even have post-it notes from some that I've listened to in the last few weeks. And I, yeah, there's a lot that resonates with me. And yeah, I hope that, yeah, people find this conversation um, interesting. So yeah, I'm everything that you're talking about the concepts of the podcast like is you know really interests me and and I, I hope that the more people share the more people take out of what others are doing and and so forth. Totally that's what we're all about and that's why we're so pleased that you're all here today and I personally am so delighted to have you on because you are someone who I find really inspiring and really interesting your journey as a leader which we'll hear more about today and I know I'm not the only one who thinks that so looking forward to talking more about your story today. On that note, uh, one of the things that came up when we were talking about your your journey so far is that path that you've taken from charity fundraising to going agency side. So I wondered whether you could tell us a bit about that, because you've got all this amazing experience under your belt. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I guess if I start at the beginning, like quite a formative part of my career um, was working at Bernardo's and that kind of like opened my eyes to, I think more, more the not-for-profit sector as a whole, like the potential, what you could do, what it was to be part of something that had kind of impacted outcomes at the heart of, of everything um, that, that we were doing. So that kind of, that passion for impact kind of, um really was cemented kind of in in that space um and it was you know being part of a large organization you know learning fundraising like my background was marketing it wasn't necessarily fundraising but it was direct marketing and as it 
transpired you know there was so much transferable kind of skills and knowledge that you could take from kind of measuring door drops for a particular brand to measuring response rates for you know a fundraising appeal so you know it was great to kind of have that opportunity to to start my my journey and kind of um, I got a really lovely opportunity to work on an innovation project um, at Bernardo's. Two of the um, leaders kind of um, put me forward who, you know, were really great champions um, and supported my development. And it was at that moment, it sort of opened my eyes to um, a different way of approaching problems and working a bit more in the sort of strategic and and idea space. So and that kind of gave me a bit of a taste of, oh, OK, so could I make the move from like sort of working in-house at a charity and the fundraising team to to working agency side and you know it kind of led me to moving to an agency that wasn't in the not-for-profit space but it kind of it, it took enough of those learnings it was still kind of that sort of marketing space where you were thinking about you know what are we trying to achieve and how can we sort of transfer um the learnings but my sort of at the heart I was like I'm going to do this for a year and then I'm coming back to the sector with all my knowledge um and year to the day would you believe Zoe I did in this commercial agency I was like I've done a year it's time to go almost like go back home because that was that was where my heart was that was my passion um was around sort of impact and, and delivering change you know and how do we make that impact change sustainable you know so kind of yeah I made that move to, to agency side and it's really interesting hearing you talk that about how it is seen as making a bit of a leap isn't it whether you're going from charity to agency side or indeed to, to vice versa do you think there's still maybe a little bit of a them and us thing between charities and and suppliers well what's your take on that I mean, absolutely. I think it, it varies. Um, you know, I definitely experienced both ends of the spectrum where you very much are sort of supplier. And so the relationship feels a bit more transactional. And so you're sort of constantly just being judged, I think, on the immediate outputs. And, um, you know, which does work for, for some organisations, you know, that is right for them. But I definitely... Um, been more drawn and found much more reward from it being about a strategic partnership because actually if you let your partners into your organization and you're really open you're honest you're transparent and that you know as a partner you have a really clear understanding of what it is they're trying to achieve and their ambition and you know their challenges you know not kind of sugarcoating anything because you know the more you know, the more you can sort of, I guess, adapt, you know, an approach or, or a thing that you you might do. So I definitely, you know, thankfully have spent more time, I think, in that sort of partnership space where it feels equal. It doesn't feel like um, you you aren't as sort of respected with, with your voice, like very much I've been invited in. And one of my favourite um, kind of references um was working with um one of my amazing clients at UNICEF UK Louise Lane many many years ago and she was like right we're bringing Lou in and she's going to be our critical friend she knows our organization uh, inside out but she can give us some objectivity she can really you know challenge us to think differently and bring other examples so that our outputs and our outcomes are are more rounded and so you know for me that's that's the space I, I really enjoy being in. And, and I think, you know, you get more from your partners if if it is that sort of much more open, shared, equal partnership um, and you're invited in to, 
feel like part of the team as opposed to yeah sort of kept a little bit at arm's length I 100% agree and I think that more organizations are working in that way now on 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 both sides of of the fence which is which is vital isn't it because of the scale of the challenges that are facing us all in the social sector definitely and also it's you know it's such an investment of time you know to sort of bring a partner in to you know get them involved in your organization and so you know if you're going to invest that time anyway you know why not make sure that you're investing in that relationship and that you are bringing them into your organization because you're going to get way more kind of reward for that investment in terms of time and energy you know people feel that and it's even you know gosh many years ago small things like meeting people who were delivering program work being invited you know um to kind of see the work firsthand you know getting those real kind of lived experiences and um, through those partnerships you know you can you you know even if it's one person in the agency team or the you know the consultant partner to that person to take that energy and that experience back to the rest of the team and kind of help them see you know where you are as an organization you know, that's really really beneficial and, and value I would say yeah, absolutely. I yeah, totally agree with that. And when you got to being agency side, the more established agency side, what was that experience like for you? Um, it definitely, like I talk about, and it was on one of your um, other podcasts, like, well, it was more the struggle, but I call it, we call it like the juggle, like the, the, the juggling you have to do in terms of like the pace the context switching just the volume of like maybe projects or clients that you're involved in like it's just on such a bigger bigger scale so that like sort of shift for me was you know a really sort of big I guess as we mentioned before like that that leap um but being able to learn skills to 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 manage that and kind of like I talk about like my my toolbox you know like and that that gets filled with the skills and the ideas based on the challenges you sort of overcome along the way but also the people you meet on your journey and so for me kind of being able to work with lots of different organizations lots of different types of stakeholders you know means I, I feel like I'm much more able to navigate different types of challenges you know different constraints or you know as you know we've we've both spoken about before you know the last couple of years you know helping businesses and organizations adapt when the environment is just completely not as planned you know for me that like that shift and and kind of sort of working agency side has really sort of given me I think the tools to to be able to do that effectively. Yeah definitely it's a real kind of varied skill set isn't it and Obviously, you know, the, the amazing skills that you you developed in-house at a charity will have stood you in, in really good stead for building on, on those strengths further. And that really takes me to the, the next thing I know we were going to talk about around leadership and how that's evolved in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, and I wondered what trends you'd noticed uh, about that over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And... For me, leadership is such an interesting concept because it's it has evolved so much. And I, you know, I remember when I first sort of joined the the sector, and I thought, okay, the obvious pathway for me, I need to just find my way to maybe being a director of fundraising because that's the only sort of leadership pathway. Um, you know, thankfully the sector has matured; it's much more diverse now. And I think the sort of the the last couple of years have have really, um, I guess, opened up 
a new concept of what a, a leader could be um, within organisations. Um, you know, we do, you know, I'm lucky enough in, in the day to day to do a lot of work with organisations where we talk about kind of being um, a responsive sort of modern organisation. And in order to do that, it means leading in a slightly different way, you know, and how kind of up for are our leaders um, able to sort of make those switches from quite traditional hierarchical positional kind of leadership and power to you know something that's much more shared that we're empowering our teams that we're giving them autonomy with you know boundaries or, or guardrails that that's needed and so for me that's been the biggest thing I've sort of sort of trend wise that I've seen is sort of that that mindset shift that people have really had to take in terms of what does navigating and leading an organization through uncertainty really mean and it means you know being really clear that clarity of of direction you know you can't always be certain with stuff and I think actually how refreshing as a leader to not feel this pressure to constantly sort of know everything and be certain about everything actually what the world is saying to us this world isn't certain this this market this you know economic environment isn't certain so you've got to you know gear yourself up to leading in a slightly different way and uh, um, I know we mentioned this before like one of the quotes that you know one of my colleagues Joe Rafe our COO always talks about is you know what got you here might not get you there and being you know confident enough to reflect on your leadership your traits your style how is that evolving every time you know you've set a new organizational strategy or a vision you know like that to me has been the sort of biggest I think shift in in leadership and you know a potential trend and, and behavior that that we're seeing in the sector. Yeah, I think that's absolutely bang on, and and that's certainly something I've I've seen as well. And are there any challenges you think that with going on that kind of uh, learning curve? Because thinking about some of the leaders that we were working with over the last couple of years, some of them adapted really quickly to that newer mode of leadership and then for others it it took a bit longer do you have any advice for leaders who need to really nurture those skills yeah it's it's interesting and I've definitely seen that in a number of different places you know a lot of leadership also is attached to culture and values you know you cannot kind of change a leadership kind of approach without you know understanding how your values are baked in at the heart of everything and how culturally you know you're creating a safe space that it's inclusive that we're allowing people to sort of try out a different say approach to to leadership um I guess capacity has been something we've we've noticed as a big challenge for the um organization so I guess having a really open and honest conversation around if we want to invest time and resources into like evolving you know our leadership or our governance structure you know how are we going to make the headspace and protect that to do that because it's not something you can do on on top of the day-to-day running of of an organization like a not-for-profit so having really open conversations about capacity um having open conversations about i i sort of touched it governance um sort of doesn't sound that exciting it's probably the biggest thing that we see that is a blocker for people kind of embracing maybe a slightly different way of of leading or or working within sort of a sort of maybe an executive team or or whatnot so we talk a lot about kind of thinking about your governance framework and how does your sort of your leadership and your executive and your board you know the sort of 
the dynamics between that, I think, really affect kind of how empowered people feel, where decisions are being made, the forums that you have to, to really sort of empower your leaders to feel like they can maybe challenge, you know, actually, just because we've always done it like this doesn't mean we could change, it. you know, feeling like they have that permission um, to do that. That's a very live conversation I had this morning with, with an organization around you know what what is the blocker here and it, it very much was it it came out of you know those those main things around capacity governance and empowerment to, to really move forward. And speaking of governance and driving change you've done a project with UNICEF haven't you where you were getting them to look at how they could develop those things can you tell us all a bit more about it? Yeah definitely and it's um we were looking back at some of our old show and tells from last year. It's like, oh my gosh, it was almost a year since we like wrapped our final show and tell. Um, but yeah, you know, um, working with the NSF UK like last year was one of the most inspiring and rewarding kind of projects that I've been involved in um, with not-for-profit organisation. Um, you know, they were navigating a pandemic, a changing sort of um, kind of sector alongside everyone else. And the biggest driver for them was around their sort of SORP and contribution rate. Like, actually, we need to really streamline our, our costs so that we are delivering more impact. You know, more of our kind of um, income is going towards the programme work. That is 100%. That was the driver, which, of course, as a not-for-profit organisation there for children and young people, that is is what they should be doing. Um, and so, yeah, we sort of tackled it from, from two angles. So one was kind of the, the macro kind of, as UNICEF UK, you know, what kind of organisation do you want to be? So this is where we were able to work with, at the time, it was an interim CEO and the executive and SLT around like, here are some attributes of a modern organisation, you know, how ambitious do you want to be? Like, how much down this sort of spectrum would you like to be? And then, you know, as sort of objective partners, um, we had done some discovery, some insight, and we could say, okay, well, if you want to be here, you know, you know, really simply, you know, if you want to be a five here, well, actually, at the moment, you're only a two. So this is the gap you've got to close, you know, so we were able to, um, we call it like be the mirror, so we can reflect back to the organisation, actually, that's amazing but this is where you're at and this is based on your all staff survey the people that work day to day you know kind of really bring into life the insights you know it was about the the lived experiences of the staff that kind of make UNICEF UK what it was so kind of working on that sort of attributes of an organization and then thinking about okay well if that's where we want to be what's the governance and leadership structure that we might need in place and to kind of support that which was all around empowering teams decisions being made closest to where the subject matter expertise were not endless forums and meetings and getting sign off you know really kind of working out in the open hence I mentioned about show and tells you know we did six show and tells and we were just saying hey this is what we've done we've just met with the executive team oh here's a couple of members of the exec team they're going to tell you what we discuss in a workshop because we're working out in the open and these are our values so we very much kind of came at it from an organisational kind of leadership perspective on one hand and then on the other hand we were sort of parallel running uh, co-designing a new way of working so like actually the day-to-day -day, we've got less people because we've restructured so that we can you know manage our kind of ratios how are we actually going to deliver this programme with with fewer people in a, in a different way so thinking about sort of agile marketing principles and you know coaching the team through that so it was pretty intense time last year I'm not gonna lie but it was 
incredibly rewarding and you know we were able to benchmark you know survey people and like show back to the organization you know this is the change we've made and that's amazing isn't it because having these kind of quite strategic changes they inevitably get adopted and embedded much more effectively if you've thought about what they're going to look like on a practical day-to-day level as much as the making of those decisions and developing the the vision so that's that's really exciting isn't it and do you think more charities are going to go down that kind of path yeah I I think so like talking to organizations particularly those who are looking at their organizational strategy like so many you know organizations like do you know what we just kind of need to get through this pandemic like how do we just you know sure ourselves up protect what we need to protect you know not kind of um, reduce services if, if if we don't need to you know there was very much a kind of okay we just need to survive and I think you know what I hoped that would come out of it and some of the stuff we were talking about probably closer towards sort of 2021 was kind of okay there's survival but then how are you going to thrive what are you taking from this that means you're going to change the way you think about stuff what you might invest and prioritize in you know particularly when we think about sort of digital and technology infrastructure you know, there was such a, a big swathe of, of movement that was needed to kind of shore up organizations to get through what they needed to get through in terms of literally day-to-day as a team but also delivering services that you know for some people were an absolute lifeline during during that time and so we're definitely seeing now a couple of organizations thinking about um well, if we're about to sort of hit refresh on our organisational strategy, is this a really good opportunity to also think about, okay, our operating model, what's the kind of organisation we want to be and kind of like probably really answering that purpose question, like, why do we exist? Has that changed in the last couple of years? Has that need changed? Do we need to diversify what we're doing? Or are we meeting the need of the, you know, priority maybe user groups or or what have you that we've identified and so we're definitely seeing a a much more like resurgence of energy into being open to, Mm. to something like this. Which is great isn't it and this is where we're going to see the unfurling impact of the pandemic for probably years to come aren't we because suddenly moving from why not to why is really exciting isn't it? Yeah it really is and like you know, I'm so passionate about um, the sector and kind of it being set up for success. So, you know, as much as like UNICEF UK did not want to do it, I was like, you have to do a webinar, you have to tell other organisations, you know, you're a large organisation, it's complex, you know, there are silos, there are the challenges that all other organisations have. And the more people that we can talk to about in, in the sector, maybe the more that you might inspire or help people to see the art of the possible like you say the sort of the hope and the energy and you know the feedback from you know the people that we work with like you know sort of co-design with the day-to-day team as well as the exec and leadership is they they learn you know they learn working with a partner you know we worked out in the open we weren't polishing presentations you know right into the end and then share it we were like cool here's the slide deck it's open this is roughly what we're going to do we'll share work in progress here's a mirror board, we're going to make this open, you know, like suddenly they, you know, they felt like they could see what was possible by, you know, being supported um, on that, that journey as well. And so, yeah, like, it's such an exciting time for the, for the sector. And I know, you know, there's lots of, like, 
not gloom, but there's like, you know, there's challenges on the horizon with economic downturn, cost of living crisis, but, you know, like fundamentally at the core of, of you know, what this sector stands for, the people or services they provide, you know, that is still there, that unites everyone. Sorry, I feel like I went on quite a bit of a like a soapbox of come on. No, no, this is why you're here. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I think very related to that, we talked about change, we talked about governments, we talked about how we need to keep evolving as a sector. And a big part of that is going to be about representation at leadership level, isn't it? So you and I, we've I think we've we've bonded over this this issue quite a lot, haven't we, when we've we've talked about it and on other occasions. What's your view on where the sector's at with this stuff, Lou? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a journey, right? And I think, you know, and I've seen a lot of change in, in my time. And I I definitely for a while didn't feel like the sort of director route was something for me because actually every meeting I was in, none of the directors looked like me, you know, in terms of like ethnicity, background, gender, like that just wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't feel accessible to me. Um, and so, you know, I definitely feel like there's been some, you know, movement in terms of like really understanding like the like the diversity, but, you know, like how equitable are our kind of routes to leadership within our sector in terms of like people from different backgrounds and making sure that that represent representation is there. Um, I definitely feel like we're much more open um as, as a sector and I, I mean I use we like the people that I engage with the people that I spend time with and it's not it's not unlikely I'm I'm kind of drawn towards like-minded individuals so I'm also aware of that bias but you know it does feel like we're making space um and being more open to different voices to kind of you know accessibility in terms of like platforms um, and how people are able to kind of, I guess, feel safe to have conversations um, within within the sector around, you know, what's possible and and kind of being able to, I think, feel confident that they could, you know, they're just as worthy of applying for something as, as anyone else and, you know, seeking promotions and, and leadership. And I think, you know, that's it's great. Um, I still think there's a long way to go I'm still you know we're still not where we need to be in terms of of representation across across the sector and I hope that you know the different bodies that exist within our sector you know continue to shine a spotlight on that you know and and have the difficult conversation Um, but you know we you know we talk a lot about kind of inclusive leadership and kind of it is I guess to what we were talking about earlier it is a bit of a a mindset shift um, and I was really um, in Michael's um, podcast, he was talking about being truly user-centred, like the voices that come through and like my experience of working with Blood Cancer UK on the board of trustees, you know, first time trustee like member did have, didn't know what to expect. You know, it's, you know, it's very, you know, it's a health-based organisation, you know, they're very, you know, um, do a huge amount in kind of like advocacy and research, you know, so it, definitely isn't my background but my goodness the diversity in voices that come through in terms of like the patient groups and backgrounds it's not just about blood cancer research kind of supporting the majority it's about knowing that health outcomes are so different depending on where you live in the country your background all of these things you know they are the live conversations that this organization is having and and what they're trying to tackle so um you know I 
definitely feel like there's there's bursts of of real light and change coming through the the sector. Absolutely. Amen to that. And of course, there is still a long way to go on that journey, isn't there? As you said, what can people like us do who are obviously from different backgrounds, you know, where we've got some, I guess, some privilege as well and a, a platform that we can use to help people. What can people like you and I do to help bring more people from, from different backgrounds into leaders' roles? Yeah, it's. I think for me, it's around like your point around privilege. The privilege here is is the platform and network. So every touch point that we have, it's about making sure that we're creating that safe space and that safe forum for these conversations to to be surfaced. Um, you know, they're not easy conversations to navigate. And you know, we were talking about our sort of, you know, like depending on your heritage and your connection to that, how you feel, how you like feel like you fit in or you don't fit in and I think it's kind of like helping people understand that your lived experiences mean that you might you know think about something in this way or think about something in in that way and kind of like being you know as open and as honest as as we can like I'm I'm for some reason as a natural introvert I've chosen a career where I I have to speak to people all the time so I I do ask myself all the time why I've done that but it's because I kept like I give a shit like I want to have the right conversation I want to have the difficult conversation and make change happen and so I think for us Zoe is continuing the conversation challenging the narrative where we can being open to also like feedback right like okay is this like how am I like presenting this is is it like is it being sort of received in the way that is helpful because you know we sort of might think that we're saying something in a particular way that you know makes it really clear and maybe that's not because you know we've got some biases that we're also holding so being like really aware of those is, is super super helpful. It really is isn't it it's a process of constantly questioning ourselves and each other and encouraging in particular leaders who aren't from those minority backgrounds I think to, to ask those quite hard questions of, of themselves. Yeah, definitely. And we're um, particularly when you, you know, in in the sort of not for profit sector as well, you're also navigating funding. Right. And, you know, where does that funding come from? Like what are the values attributed to that? How controversial might that funding be? And, you know, we're having a very like live conversation at the moment around kind of how do you navigate the complexities of kind of business and impact whilst maintaining your values? Um mm to make sure that you feel like you're making the right decision that it's informed but it's they're not easy conversations to navigate and they're they're really quite complex and so be but creating the space you know a safe space for for those conversations to happen is is absolutely you know the you know the basic thing that a leader you know should be doing at, at the moment is you know like get educated do the research do the information say when you don't know you don't understand that's fine but make it known that this this conversation is is welcome and it's a a safe space 100% absolutely and it's about creating those those safe spaces isn't it so there were a couple more things I wanted to ask you so on that point actually one thing that you and I have discussed is leaders as facilitators where they're trying to establish those shared goals with their team and they're very much got this role of bringing people together to make progress towards those 
those goals and those outcomes. And I wondered if you could share a bit more about how you've seen organisations do that. Yeah, I think so. We've been talking a lot about like how the role of leadership is changing. So kind of like what are the values of of leadership? So we talk about vulnerability. That is a mouthful. Um, You know, so being comfortable enough to, to sort of share share yourself kind of transparency so working out in the open kind of this is very much not about kind of positional hierarchy or access to information kind of working out in the open and modeling the behaviors you want to see for the people in your organization and this is very much kind of some of the kind of I guess frameworks we talk to organizations around is like how can we support you in what what we would describe as like like non-negotiables for leadership now like this is like what the expectation is and so supporting organizations through those values means that ultimately they are going to achieve their goals they're going to deliver the the impact but they also are kind of making sure that they there's responsible kind of leadership governance within those organizations depending on what it is that they're they're trying to achieve very much so I, th- I think again it's that new playbook of leadership that you, you you talked about earlier and we have talked quite a lot haven't we about um women in the, the workplace supporting each other and you've obviously got this fantastic project Mentored, which we will uh, link to in the show notes and I had the absolute privilege of, of speaking at um, your festival a few weeks ago can you tell people a bit about them mentored and a bit more about why it's needed? Definitely. Um, so, yeah, we found, founded them mentored in 2020. So we um, co-founder Rebecca Elkham. Um, we basically saw a gap in, in the for good space um, for what we would describe as modern mentoring. Um, I think our kind of experience of mentoring was very much like, oh, OK, well, you should be referred to someone who's more senior than you they can teach you what you need to teach you and then that's your your pathway and actually um, we kind of felt like it didn't really meet the needs particularly of of women um, in the sector because at that time um, there also wasn't that sort of representation at leadership for for sort of women as well so it wasn't like you'd sort of you could see this array of like female leaders you know really doing you know lots of stuff actually it felt a bit like oh gosh well that's that's not for me because clearly we're not being represented so we kind of saw a gap in in that space we thought about technology and digital at the heart of this because again um, traditional mentoring is about meeting face to face kind of organizing these sessions and you know it's very formal um and it's you know it feels quite um to me like almost like quite archaic now when I think about the concept that was being presented as well this is the option that, that you have um and so really thinking about digital and technology we had this idea but we thought hmm why don't we just ask women? So we put a survey out on LinkedIn and over a hundred women kind of filled in the survey like, absolutely, I see this gap as well. This is what I'd love to get out of it. And it was mainly around facilitating connections, like providing a network and having a safe space to talk about the real life challenges that women were facing in and around the the for good um, space. So kind of that was the, the concept of it, you know, so that was sort of in 2020. So kind of pre-pandemic we'd already kind of planned for it to be completely kind of digital like that was going to be the it would basically live on Twitter and LinkedIn and and MailChimp um yes we're using MailChimp um and kind of um kind of kind of snowballed from there really that was kind of the beginning of it and we have yeah we've been 
running it ever since with kind of monthly kind of drop-ins, getting amazing speakers, all based on the theme. We had a backlog of themes that all the women told us were things that they were worried about in terms of like juggling, you know, parenthood, returning to work, um, asking for a promotion, lack of confidence, meeting other people, you know, all of the things that they told us, we just lined up speakers through our network. And I have to say, like, our network has been, you know, the guiding light of making this possible because everyone was like, yep, I'll do it. I'm happy to give you half an hour, an hour of my time because I get so much out of this. So kind of that was the concept of running those monthly events. And then we've we've done a couple of, of mentoring programs where we've actually matched women um, kind of from around the sector, but also kind of broader now. We've definitely sort of seen interest outside of the forward space. And we're kind of like, do you know what? The more women we reach, the better. And actually, you know, there's a lot of um, women who apply from the not sector who specifically say, and do you know what? It'd be great if I could be matched with someone outside of the sector so I could learn a bit more about, you know, commercial or working in a consultant or an agency you know so we're seeing that diversity um, of kind of skills and experience come through and so yeah that's been gosh nearly 300 women we've we've matched and we've got our current program live now so we've got about 90 people signed up and so that's that's running until um january and then, yeah, we did Femme Festival, which, Zoe, you were oh, amazing. And kind of we were talking about um, kind of getting in your own way. What are the things that stop women feeling confident enough to, to progress? You know, we've all been there um, and we all will continue to be there, but we can lift each other up and support each other on, on our journey. So, yeah, that was a very whistle-stop tour, but quite long on Femme Mentors. <laughs> Absolutely amazing, Lou. I mean, as someone who's had the joy of speaking on your events, I think it's such a brilliant initiative. And congratulations on helping 300 plus women. I mean, that is phenomenal, especially during such a time of change. For anyone uh, who wants to find out more about it, we will put the link in the show notes. But what should they do? Is there a website they should go to or should they contact you? What, What would you like them to do? Yeah, so definitely contact me on LinkedIn. Um, we have our Twitter account, FemMentored, as well as Instagram, FemMentored, just search that. And then if you search FemMentored on the internet, it will redirect you to a MailChimp kind of site we're working on, kind of like having a grown-up website. But for now, MVP, it does the job. <laughs> that's enough, right? That's that's yeah. enough. Having a, a MailChimp site, that, that is enough, isn't it? That's brilliant. Brilliant, lovely. Well, we will make sure that we um, share that with everyone in, in, in the notes because it's such a brilliant initiative and also really important for, for men in the workplace to know about this as well so they can signpost their colleagues to it. Definitely. We've had so much support from um, men in, in the sector who've like connected us with other women, have, have suggested it to their teams, have promoted all of our content. You know, that is, you know, I will say we've definitely had some amazing kind of support from from men within the sector which has been amazing and they you know they are 100% the people who are supporting championing their teams and you know they want to make sure that you know women get you know the opportunities that they've had as well. Exactly that's that's brilliant and Lou just before you go um a slightly left field question but with all these amazing things that you've done and all these fantastic ways in which you've helped charities and things you've set up like Femme Mentored is there any advice that you would give to your younger self? Gosh, um, you, I would say to myself, 
um, you you can do this and you 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 matter like when you depending on your background and how you sort of come up to where you need to get to you know not having access to kind of role models or mentors or coaches like that was just I just assumed you just kind of got to work a million hours a week and that you know you might get through somehow um but actually for me it's the the staying confident knowing that you can do it and stay true to your values because that's what will get you where you want to be because that is it like I know in my heart I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do because that's what drives me that's I wouldn't do all of this if I didn't care like I genuinely I don't I'm so happy to be in the sector and working with loads of like honestly the best women leaders I've ever worked with in my career like I feel so privileged and so yeah I guess my final note to myself will be it will all work itself out don't worry too much because I'm a massive warrior (laughs) that is great advice Thank you so much, Lou. That was fantastic. Uh, Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Lou for joining me for that chat. I was so pleased we were able to get Lou on Start to the Top. And as I mentioned, yeah, I wasn't able to join this one. Your conversation did make me think about some of the work I'm doing, particularly around a, a communications audit at the moment. Um, Lou talked about how leaders need to invest time in their development so that they can better empower their teams in gaining the new skills they'll need in the future. And I wonder what this means for performance measurement and how we define success. People are doing their jobs differently and we're we're looking at leaders to um, empower them to to make uh, decisions and drive their own um, their own success. And what does it mean for the, some of the outdated ways? I think that. We measure success and certainly in this comms audit I'm seeing uh, teams measured in in old, say old-fashioned ways, but KPIs, key performance indicators, um, seem to be quite old-fashioned in this day and age. So I just wonder, are you um, in your organisation starting to move away from some of those old ways of measurement um, KPIs towards OKRs, which um, Zoe and I discussed earlier this morning, but OKRs, objectives and key results, for example, um, is there a shift? Is there a change? And how are you managing that change? We'd love to hear from you um, uh, or anything else that you heard in, in Lou's uh, conversation with Zoe that, um, that struck a chord. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Starts at the Top 1. And you can also email us at startsatthetop at gmail.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts, you can rate and review. Please do. It all helps with our visibility and reach. And we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Bye.